Welcome to The Corner, La Source's digital show dedicated to the sport and entertainment industry. Every two weeks, we invite a professional to share their experience, background, and challenges. The sport industry moves fast, and having their insights is the best way to keep up to speed. Welcome to The Corner. Building a professional football female league is a tough task, especially a decade ago when nothing was there and you had it to build from scratch. This is basically what Mariana Gutierrez did in 2017 in Mexico with Lega MX Feminine. In today's episode, we received Mariana to talk about our exciting journey, unique challenges and all the business opportunities related to that league. Have a pleasant listening. Hello, Mariana. Uh, welcome to a, a new episode of The Corner. I would have had to say good good afternoon, but I think it's rather good morning uh, on your end. So uh, welcome on the podcast. Thank you. How yes, are you? Thank you for, for your time. Yes, we're in Mexico and it's morning morning time for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as, as a tradition, we like to start a bit the podcast by... The guest giving a, a brief presentation of himself or herself because I'm quite bullish, I have to be honest. And having now a, a female speaker, that's something we're missing a lot in our industry. So I give you the floor to give us a, a short presentation of, of yourself. Thank you, Jen Baptiste. And and remind me later on that I can share with you a lot of women that are changing the game and um, advocates for the sports. So um, happy to do that. Um, I'm Mariana Gutierrez. I'm head of the Liga MX Femenil. That means that this is the Women's Professional Football League in Mexico. Um, currently, we are the most popular um, women's league in the region. That means um, of Latin America, no, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been here since 2016. I was, I'm the former, let's say, coordinator for National Amateur Leagues in our member association, okay. no Mexican football. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was since 2015. So probably I've been developing a few years now women's football in are um, most important in the government body. No, that's the member association and the professional league. So when you moved to the league, the idea was to say, okay, if we the league was uh, had the intention to to create the uh, the female competition, and so they recruited you so that you had the full I would not say blank page, but the full support to actually launch a new competition on the female on the female side. Exactly. That's a very interesting question, um, and it would give us a a great context. Um, If I had to describe what actually happened, it's like corporate entrepreneurship, right? Um, It's been male-dominant. Historically, we have a lot, our core business was developing men's competitions, right? Um, So when I joined the member association, uh, FMF, how, that's how we say it here. Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, an entrepreneurship past um, developing women's competition, amateur, 
And when they asked me to join, they already had this strategy, this vision, this purpose-driven of developing women's football in our country. And the first step was let's let's develop the base, you know, the grassroots. Let's start yes, um, yeah. with amateur leagues because um, we need to make it visible. The Mexican Federation used to say in that moment that um, we were on, on uh, in a high depth with our women's sports or women, uh, women's game. And so I joined um, first developing the grassroots. And later on, um, one year and a half later, I joined the league because in that period, we also were doing the research of how should we create and launch this professional league. Okay. It was a lot of research uh, time, a lot of um, lobbying with the stakeholders, how we should plan this, how, which is our audience, our customers, our fan base, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I have a few questions on that because I think it's uh, – I have two, but let's take the first one. Is It's usually a chicken and egg. It's Is it – did you do the, the competition to actually try to drive revenues and showcase that there is a business case there so that also you can have revenues to then cascade down to the grassroots? Or – you know, you had the strong political will, but what was the, the idea of the league? It was to say more than the grassroots, we need also a flagship event for communication to make sure like all the girls and all the, let's say the fans, whether male or female, can actually watch female football uh, and have a business case. But what was was the competition? I don't know how to say that, but we had the same discussions back in the days as well at UEFA. So it was on the chicken and egg, like the competition was some kind of a flagship to help on the grassroots or it was more the grassroots that really helped in terms of maturing the market and then go with the competition? You explain yourself perfectly and I would say it's an excellent question because we have to say that women have been, women and girls have been playing football a long time. Mm. It's not that massive as in the men's side because we all know why, no, that we didn't have the space and the proper um, um, competitions where we could held it. And obviously the cultural part, no. Um, so um, we understood that uh, representation matters, viewership matters, matters. Um, this showcase that you're talking about, um, it was important mm -hmm. because In parallel, we had a very strong national team um, development no, pathway. They've been, and curiously, and I would say it's not a funny thing to say, but it's curious that since we launched the league, we've not qualified to a World Cup. We didn't qualify to, to um, France and we didn't qualify to Australia. Mm. So, Too many um, competitions. Exactly. We launched the competition and... Uh, we started finding a lot of issues we had of how we had built that pathway because we didn't have a competition, right? Um, so we had very good players here that didn't fit in the amateur level now, no? So we had to do a competition mm. for those players that 
a professional. Exactly. Okay. In terms of pathway, it was more like the elite transition and more the professional side of exactly. things. No. Okay, I understand. We did lack of that pathway for the whole pool of players, right? Mm. That became our biggest challenge. Um, and we can see till day, uh, till now, that um, uh, we don't have players that have been involved in the elite um, system from a young age, right? The girls' academies, it's, it's, it's been, we've launched our youth competition, but that was our biggest challenge. Who were going to be the players? We had the stakeholders, we had the broadcasters, we had the political willing, as you were saying, but how we were going to select those players, who were the ones that play, mm -hmm. who draft for their clubs, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I believe... Do you, have, do you have an answer on that? Is it because they were moving to... Uh, I was thinking, like you said, it's the biggest in LATAM. Uh, is it because North America and especially the US, which is a very strong, I would say, female uh, football country uh, and with like top clubs and, and all of that, is it because the, the top players from Mexico were moving to, to the US or to Canada or... Was it something, do you have an answer to that? Or have you found something around this professional uh, pathway where there was this gap? Well, the gap obviously was um, USA. I could even say Costa Rica, Canada in the national team. But um, USA had a leverage of 30 years of development. Mm -hmm. They also have Title IX. Okay. They have a lot of public policies that help develop the women's um, sports, right? Uh, but on the other hand, the leverage for us was the whole region was lacking of women's football, or professional leagues, professional or elite competitions, pathways, etc. So right now we're home for 40 foreign players that are born and raised on those regions. Like um, I would say uh, we have a lot of Costa Rican players, you know, um, Colombians, uh, a lot of Latin American people um, okay. with us. Um, but on the other hand, I think it's important that a competitive advantage we have is that the top ranked countries like the World Cup champions and the Olympics champions are our neighbors, right? So that <laughs> huge leverage to um, learn, learn to compete, mm. um, to to study best practices. A lot of study cases we had, no. But there's something very important that differentiates us from every single league we've met, we've known, and it's how our governing okay. body uh, was built and how our competition, we structure our business model. And that's because um, we would say that our governing body is the professional league. So the professional mm -hmm. league I make is, is the regulatory body for the three professional leagues, men's, women's, and I would say it's like a second division um, competition, right? And it was mandatory for the 18 affiliated clubs for the men's side to um, launch the women's side. So they invest in both divisions, in both competitions. And that for us till now has been the biggest competitive advantage we, because we have the willing, okay. 
we have the knowledge, we, we know what formula works and what doesn't. And also um, we have a lot of weaknesses that we, we need to work on, like our core business was developing males competition and mm. like the same thing, but it's not. So um, we had to build um, new um, rules. We had to change and transform our regulations for like, small details that are actually very important for women's life. Yeah. You know, we didn't have any. But did did the clubs did, did the clubs decide? So I guess like in every professional leagues, all the clubs they sit in the board. Yeah. And back in 2016, 17, they were like, okay, we need to have like a female competition. So they decided by themselves, we need to make it unique, different. And so all the clubs will have their own female division or female academy, and they would have to play in the first league on the on the, the women's side. So they all decided that, right? But what, what drove the... Uh, I'm going back to that because that was the second question I had is, I understand why... I mean, I understand why they would do it. Is it where they like... External factors where, I don't know, in the decades, in the past decades, you were like, okay, that's an important business case, or that's something that we need to develop because we see the likes of uh, FC Barcelona or the uh, Olympique Lyonnais or Wolfsburg in Europe, where they were like, okay, these kind of elite top clubs, they manage also to have elite top female section, which drives also maybe, you were mentioning the specificity of the business case. So I'm trying to see why by themselves 18 clubs and and i think 18 male dominated uh <laughs> an executive board would say okay we, we go there is it because they have seen what was working outside or uh, what was the behind it? amazing question i think it's a bunch of things the first thing i would say is okay. being neighbors with usa it's a huge huge advantage And let me tell you why. Because we know, we've seen the future. For us, watching how mm. sports develop in USA has taught us a huge lesson about sports business, right? So we have very smart owners with a lot of vision that they understand where they want to take their clubs. Mm. And that vision helps us with the lobbying To, to push forward this business model because, um, as you know, for example, with the men's side, they launched a new competition called the Leagues Cup. And the Leagues Cup is basically yeah. a, a joint venture with the MLS. And it's because 60 million Mexicans, Hispanic people, are living in the USA that love our league. And that happens the same to Mexico and has to do with feelings. It's this fan base we have in the region that um, basically goes back to the back, back to basics. We love sports. We love football. We love our teams, right? And it doesn't matter Ooh, if we're talking about you teams. It doesn't matter if we're, it doesn't, it doesn't have to do with gender, anything. It has to do with love for the game, right? And love for your team. So on one hand, Um, this was one of the purpose-driven. And the other thing I would say very important was the cultural change we've been having in our country. 
And um, there's been a lot of advocacy, a lot of um, accountability, a lot of um, fighting for equal rights, a bunch of things, gender equality, that um, when you have a country like Mexico that eats, breathes um, football, what happens is that um, it makes sense, right? You just will. Like repeat the, the the successful formula we have in the men's side, and um, and then on that, what do you what do you copy or do different? Like I get it from the, I mean, I see the time, the the total addressable market. I see also the passion behind it in terms of how you play, how you live, especially Latin America and Mexico being neighbors to the U.S. And I know there is the FIFA World Cup in 2026, so I guess there is also all these kind of uh background that helps in terms of decision making but on the maybe sponsorship broadcast or you 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 see the potentially the americans like you said like we see the the path to to success but you say you do it also in a unique way so what is the thing that you tend to copy or maybe to do differently depending also on your specificities um, I would say, first of all, governing body, um, the board, the General Assembly, it's very important. Um, we we do a lot of lobby because our clubs are those that work with the players or those that it's their daily basis to develop the game. So having a board like that helps us a lot to um, push forward women's sports because you have the owners investing in it. All the 18, the same 18. So that that is fundamental. It's a breakthrough. The other, uh, and I would say milestone, is the men's side has a very successful um, youth um, structure, youth team structure, right? So they have a lot of categories that have been playing and how they've been developing on, on for the past 10 years, no? And... And, and it's important to say that the professional league, it's unbundled from the member association, but they get along. They're, we're friends, right? Um, we actually um, work in the same building. And for the women's, as you can see worldwide, the majority of the leagues are... are by, the, by the member association. It's unbundled from the member association, but bundled with the professional league, I would say... It's the thing that we copied that gave us a lot of excellent outcomes. The other one is trying to copy the youth um, pathway, but that with but with our own footprint, right? Um, because mm-hmm. girls develop very differently. No, we have the menstrual cycle, we have hormones um, that that impact the game in in younger ages, no? like in teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, we have very bad injuries, you know, that will take you take you out of the field for basically a year. A month. Um, okay. So, um, how we studied, research, how we were gonna build our our youth program is a little bit different, but with kind of the same goal. So we want to deliver all these categories, but. We launch our youth 17 competition, so all 18 have to have their youth academy, right? And those, mm. it started as a youth 17, and this season it's going to become a youth 19. So 
it's been a, a pathway. We started U17, then U18, and now U19. Because it, it was important to mitigate some costs, but also we want to learn how the player um, evolves, develops in this environment. What happens most of the time is that a lot of players quit, women's or girls quit 13, 14 years old, probably when they go into high school, right? That change, okay. it's a very important change for a woman. Why? Why the big drop? Um, I would say a lot of things because it's the most important change as a woman, no hormones, basically. But mm -hmm. it also has to do with your um, social environment. Social. Yeah, social. And that's when you recognize or, or you find out if you want to become a professional or not, mm. no? If you want to quit parties, if you want to quit hanging out with your friends. Yeah. Because with the man's side, we were used to it. And with the women's side, and it also has to do with this cap salaries, no, that we have worldwide, that um, mm. if you don't earn though that type of money, it, you will be doubting if you want to become a professional athlete, right? So I, yeah. I would say those... Um, It's a decision making. There's difference at a young age. So we wanted to see how they would um, adapt to the environment, and also because we didn't want the gap to be too big with the first team, right? So we yes. launched the first team. We've seen uh, particular insights that we've been trying to 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 work with. So that would be the. So it always for the competitive balance and so the overall product so that at least you have like fair games. I mean, more like competitive games so that it's a bit more tight. So yeah, I would right. say that for the women's side, we kind of pivot when we discover something new, but with the basics that we've been doing, mm. like, um, regulations, no? And, um, and I would say that thanks to the women's side, We are launching our new protocol policy for sexual harassment. It's an anti-policy okay. because, um, it, again, has to do with how you've been developing your social environment, your culture, country, mm. behaviorals. So now we will have this protocol for all the competitions, no? Um, and... And, and on that, would, would you say that the female game is also in competition, is helping a bit to have room for, I don't know if it's innovation, but room for testing new ideas or for like where in the men's game, it's a bit more like, you know, there is more at stake or it's a more, it's also like historically, it has been there for 30, 40 years here, you have everything to develop. And so Every time I'm hearing this new policy or everything, it's also like you're starting maybe from a blank page or you see things differently or that players see things differently. Exactly. Do you, do you, does that happen too? Yeah, so okay. that, that's why I wanted to start when I mentioned that it was like a corporate entrepreneurship, no? Because let's mm. see this like a separate business unit that um, it's like a baby sister. <laughs> And we're flexible because... Every time we want to validate our hypotheses, for example, we learn a bunch of things, we measure, and then we pivot. No, it, it's, it's like yeah. talking about lean startup. It's, it's basically the same. 
And um, I would say that because of that, we proposed our board uh, a very innovative thing, very disruptive for our country, because it's not something innovative for the world that it's um, we proposed a centralized business unit because in the men's side, it's decentralized. We have 18 independent clubs, like 18 business units that they will negotiate all of their deals, broadcast, image, sponsorships, etc. Individual base. So um, we, our board accepted this and last um, general assembly. So you will be collectively selling the rights, being sponsorship or broadcast and all of that. That was about what I was to, to, about to ask because you are referring to a startup. So are you coming to a certain maturity level? Because I've seen the Nike deal as well. Usually there is a bundle between the men's and the and the female where usually the league, they go out to the market and agencies tend to sell it as a bundle and say, okay, that's you, you take it for the men's and you will have it for, for the female. But I've seen like you, you've managed to also sell exclusively for the female league to Nike. So are you to a certain level of maturity where you can say, okay, we collectively gather all the rights so that we can create more value that we redistribute to all the teams. That's it. Yeah. So that's the outcome of, of centralizing everything, right? Because now we have valued our assets and learned that we can build new assets no? in the mm. side. And the first thing was a match ball because for many years we've been uh, bundled with an excellent, and I have to say it, partner like Void, Mexican ball, actually, very proud about it. And But then Nike came along and a lot of things happened because uh, it was a statement. It was a statement that this is our first asset and we can bring a lot of them together. And Nike um, for next season will become one of our second main sponsors. The first one is, I would say today, it's BBVA. It's a very special sponsor. It's our biggest partner because they sponsor all the competitions. They want to be the bank of the Mexican football, no matter gender, no matter anything, right? So very special sponsorship. But Nike has very clear vision and purpose and goals with the Women's League. So it makes sense to partner with them. And they also are partners with NWSL and um, WL. Uh, women's league soccer in in UK, right? So I would say now that we're very par- proud that um, we are starting to see those outcomes. Um, but the other thing that it's very important to mention, and this is why it's disruptive, is two the two main broadcasters of our country own mm-hmm. clubs. Okay, okay. so. How many? Just one, one each. So the 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 owner of certain clubs. Are, okay, one each. This okay. is important to mention because that's why each club has their own deals. 
right? I, I know oh, it's okay. been kind of these things in Europe. No, we know a, a couple of um, presidents that own or, well, um, regulate broadcasters, right? So you can imagine mm -hmm. what are the challenges. But but instead of being a challenge for the women's sport, it became a leverage because the broadcasters since moment one um fully committed fully committed held her hand and had viewership and now i would say that's been a breakthrough because wh what we've seen with other leagues in the world they're still fighting for those viewership for those that reach um we have it in mexico we have streaming we have open tv we have linear we have este pay tv and so we have um a very important strategy for viewership, right? So that mm. when we centralize it, these owners um, approved it because it made sense that uh, the more eyes, the more audience, yeah. the better sponsorships, and you know, you know the yeah. effect. And and beyond the eyeball, I was wondering, like, I see clearly the eyeball and the thing that also you bring potentially new new customers so you are serving the avid fans so maybe this male that has been consuming football and practicing it for years but maybe now you touch also new categories or new demographics with like female uh, being uh, young uh, kid or, or more adult ones but beyond the eyeball I was wondering whether in the sponsorship or in the broadcast, they were also seeing the opportunity for them to um, to innovate or to have some breakthrough. I'm thinking about Nike, but also the, the broadcasters in terms of how they potentially broadcast the game or, or make it different to potentially also test, just like what you were saying from a pure like a startup perspective. So that's an interesting question because when you launch a professional competition, no matter which one, <laughs> well, you obviously touch a lot of points. You find pain points, but also um, right now, for example, that we are analyzing our fan journey, no? We, we've been discovering a lot of things. But when you measure, then you realize how many other points you're, you're touching. And what I basically want to say is that broadcasters also had to find their talent as we had to find our players. They had to find their talent, right? Because they were male dominant. Yeah. They were, their core business, their experience was male competitions, no? So imagine mm. watching a new competition. So you're, you're thinking the storytelling, they also needed, yeah. not translators, but people that could tell the story for, for, for female. Analyze the games commentate the games so that was a, another huge challenge no it's not the same that you say well why hey um cristiano has the ball oh substitution a mess is coming in that when you you're you're commentating game where you've never known the players no so as a league we also had to help um our our stakeholders for that viewership, you know, so the broadcasters were avid about it. So um, they needed um, they needed information. They needed research. We did that analytics to to basically feed the content. No, 
Um, okay, I understand. So yeah, it's and Mariana, I wanted to ask you like because I know you you will have to leave, so I have so many questions, and I'm maybe we'll have a time for a second one, but given the time we have, I was thinking what like you've mentioned this on the broadcast sites. What what is the main challenge, or what are the main challenges that you are facing now? That I mean, you've been on a six-year journey. I guess there are plenty in terms of like delivery operations, kind of this new business model as well. To I would say not to prove, but to um, to grow. What what would be the key challenge for you, and what do you see also in the coming next years? Knowing that you have the twenty twenty, I mean twenty twenty three in Australia and twenty twenty six. Uh, Males World Cup uh, in the US, like and a bit in Mexico too. So I would, I would answer that question, that question in three ways differently. No, first, yeah. the first one I would say, let's talk about social um, impact. One of our biggest challenge is changing mindsets. No, um, fitting in, belonging. Um, mm. gaining more viewership. You no, know? we are. I would say now we are a niche, and we want to become a massive industry. We're okay. developing a new industry, mm. and when I say that, let's now approach it from the business side. And from the business side, I would say investment. So let's go back to the corporate um, entrepreneurship. You know, when you're trying to um, like explore things and you fail and you pivot and you fail again, it's very expensive to do that, right? So our owners in Mexico, how sports is structured, basically, I would say the two main stakeholders that are doing all the investment are the owners and the broadcasters, right? So um, as a business model, you need KPIs, you need a return of investment. Mm. And when you have the return of investment, it's very difficult to sustain. So the challenge would be let's keep growing, but it has to be sustainable, Right. So now we're in that period where the challenge is, hey, guys, now we have to bring we have to sell those assets with a fair price. So you you need to showcase the value to a certain extent. I mean, in terms of ROI, you need these kind of quick wins like on the pathway, like showcasing the value short term so that after you can still invest to grow where you want. to. I would say that there's. A tricky part in there, right? Because we change our owner's mindset, we change the broadcast mindset, we're actually changing <laughs> our fan base mindset, but now we're missing the brands. The brands look at us, and I would say this as worldwide, as social responsibility, right? And so the amount of investment, it's very difficult to develop. Mm. Be- because they like to compare us now. It's okay, the men's side is delivering all this um, KPIs, th- this reach, all this return. The viewership or stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah guys, but it, it's it, the kind, the amount of um, investment you're doing 100 years ago in the men's side, it's not fair to compare it in the women's side. So basically, I always say we are a startup. We're 
in, in initiating, no, it's in the rough time with capital C, etc., etc., and that's like the biggest challenge, no, that are in, invest to create your market of tomorrow. Exactly. That's more or less what you are saying to the brands, I guess. And it's because you just said it. No, it's not also it's not the brand's fault because they they live from the market. They are fed by the market, mm. driven by the market. And if we don't increase those numbers of the market, we get out of the niche and become massive. We cannot have that kind of investment. So basically, it's a lot of lobbying and convincing a lot of people that invest in the women's game. And I would say. That is a worldwide thing. And so what we did is a strategy to show the ca- showcase our, our, our league as the most important league in the region, one of the three most important leagues in the world, um, because there's a serious investment from our owners, from the broadcasters. And now it, we are seeing those outcomes, right? We have Nike on board. And we're negotiating with a lot of brands that will come on board too, um, but it takes time. So I would say those are the biggest challenges for us right now. Okay. And what's like, okay, I think we need to end up here, but last questions I cannot, I cannot do without it. What's the, the biggest success or what, what is the thing you are the most proud of across this journey or something you would recommend to anybody? I mean, something positive that you have in mind. As a league, I would say um, there's a lot of milestones, a lot. Um, I mean, I remember that when we launched the league, there was only one team like investing, spending, etc. And now we have 18 teams that invest in strategies, um, research, um, they're developing players. They they sign top players worldwide, no? Like America yeah. with former Barcelona players or Tigres that um, um, bring and sell in the market, um, transfer um, top players to the NWSL. Um, Pachuca also bringing top players like Charlene Corral and Jennifer Hermosa. And I see partnerships as well with like uh, exactly. uh, European clubs and stuff also happening more. Exactly, more. no. They, they're bringing um, alliances to strengthen the game, no, to level up. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud basically to launch the league i think as mexicans as a league we should be very proud that where we were standing our position let's say um we should be very proud of what we built another thing as a league guys i would say i'm very proud of the team we've built here that um they're purpose driven they believe in the game and that's that willingness that accountability has been very helpful and finally that's what makes you drive i exactly. guess that's what makes you push the boundaries on push, but also be tolerant and patient because it's not easy mm. no is that when there's no money coming in the cash inflows for example it's not easy to to sustain a business and the uh, uh, so that means i'm very proud also of the owners that been like delivering an amazing showcase and finally and most important is uh, the cultural transformation we've done you no know? launching the youth academy the, sorry, the youth competition launching this policy anti-harassment policy um launching um a lot of policies that are 
helping helping us advocate for gender equality, for example. All of them are belonging. There's a lot of visibility for a bunch of things like um, LGBTQ plus uh, members, community. Mm. Um, so I'm also very proud of what this league has not also built, but what they've been showcasing around to advocate for a change, right? Cool. Honestly, like I didn't know there was, before we started, I didn't know there were that much things. So I think I have to say congrats on the bigger scheme or the comprehensiveness of it in terms of like maturity and how it has grown. Uh, listen, Maya, I think it's, uh, you've already like passed the time by two minutes. So I don't want to, we knew it, it, it was going to be short. I'm, I'm super, uh, excited i mean uh, i like it so i might be like in contact to do like a second episode later on because i have still lots of questions but uh thank you for the time i know it's early morning so uh, thank you for for making it and uh thanks for sharing all that all that insights oh happy happy to share um what we're building here in mexico with you jean baptiste with your audience um amazed that we received this opportunity from um the other part of the world, no, um, very far away from Mexico. But um, believe me, I think we are seeing a lot of changes for a sport. So thank you for your time, and very happy to do a second a second edition. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoy it as much as we love creating them. If you like the episode, feel free to comment, rate, and share with people around you. You can visit our website, www.lastsource.io, to learn more about our activities. You will discover a wide range of articles and can subscribe to our newsletter to receive the latest tech and sports news in your mailbox every month. Stay tuned for new episodes. Le Corner.